0: Welcome to More Christianity, the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, and in this program, we're going to be discussing Anglicanism, also especially the new personal ordinariate that's been set up for Anglicans, The guest in the second part of our program is Father Jonathan Chalmers, one of the first former Episcopal priests to be ordained as a priest in the personal ordinariate. The Anglican Church was founded in the midst of the Protestant Revolution of the 1500s. For those of you who know your history, you'll remember King Henry VIII, found himself with a wife, but without a child. He wanted to continue his Tudor dynasty, but his wife, Catherine of Aragon, was not able to bear him a son. So being quite enamored with Anne Boleyn, a young courtier in his court there in England in in the 1500s, he sought a divorce from the Pope, uh, but was denied it. And so very famously, he divorced Catherine of Aragon and married Anne Boleyn. The product of that union was the young Princess Elizabeth, who would go on to become Elizabeth I of England. Because of his decision to go forward with the divorce, Henry VIII was cut off from the Catholic Church. The Church of England was founded as a Protestant body, and soon after, it became not only Protestant in its politics and being cut off from the Pope, but also in its theology. Theology of the Lutherans in the continent over in Germany made its way to England, and the Church of England became a Protestant church. In many ways, it retained many of its Catholic customs, but being cut off from the Pope, they were also cut off from the apostolic source of authority. We're going to jump forward a little bit to the establishment of the Episcopal Church. When the English came to America, they soon established the Church of England in these colonies. But after the American Revolution in the 1770s, the clergy and the bishops in the Church of England in America could no longer take an oath of allegiance to the monarch in England Nevertheless, they wanted to have their own Anglican-style church in America, but they were frustrated because they needed to have bishops to have an Episcopal-style church, and the Church of England, being a bit sore about the American Revolution, decided that they could not have any bishops from the Church of England. So instead, the Americans went to Scotland, where already there had been established the Scottish Episcopal Church, a church from the Anglican tradition, but cut off and separated and independent from the Church of England. And so the Americans went to the Scots, and the Scottish bishops ordained a bishop for the American Anglican Church. This first bishop was Samuel Seabury, and that took place in 1783. The Episcopal Church was then founded and established on its own and was called the Protestant Episcopal Church of the United States of America. The Episcopal Church, as it's known, continued its history independent from the Church of England. And yet over the years, the bridges were built and reconciliation was established so that the Episcopal Church joined a group of other independent national churches worldwide as part of the worldwide Anglican Communion. These are churches which, like the Episcopal Church in America and the Anglican Church in Canada and the Scottish Episcopal Church and the Anglican Church in Nigeria and all over the world, Wherever the Anglicans went, they established their churches, and these national churches now exist in a worldwide communion, in communion with the Archbishop of Canterbury, who is the head of the Anglican Communion, although he does not have the powers and the authority that the Pope would have in the Catholic Church. Over the years, an increasing number of Episcopalians have been disenchanted with the direction of the church, and so they've broken off and formed their own churches. You might travel around and see them. They, they usually pick up the name Anglican again, which means English, and you might see one that might be called the Anglican Orthodox Church or the Orthodox Anglican Church or the Anglican Church of North America or the Anglican Church of the Northern Province or the Episcopal Anglican Church or the Evangelical Anglican Church. There are lots of little ones out there, and they're trying to maintain the ancient Anglican tradition of being a faithful Christians and faithful to the gospel and faithful to the historic faith. They have, however, been cut off from both the Anglican communion and also cut off, of course, from the Church of Rome. Well, over the years since the Second Vatican Council, there have been increasing bridges built between the Church of Rome, the Catholic Church, and the Church of England, the Anglican Church. One of these initiatives which has taken place was called the Pastoral Provision. In the late 1970s, a group of Episcopal clergymen wrote to Pope Paul VI and said, We want to convert to the Catholic Church. And we would like to be Catholic priests, but unfortunately we can't be ordained as Catholic priests because we have wives and children. Would you please, Holy Father, make an exception to the rule? Now, they knew that in the 1950s Pope Pius XII had made an exception to a group of Lutheran pastors in Denmark, and so the Episcopalians held out the hopes that they also would have an exception made for them. Well, Pope Paul VI died, John Paul I was elected and only lasted for a month, and then John Paul II was elected, and he looked at this paperwork, and he decided to be generous to these Episcopalian priests. They were received into the church, and a handful of them were ordained as Catholic priests, even though they were married with families. And thus was set up something called the Pastoral Provision. The Pastoral Provision is simply a mechanism by which a former Episcopal or Anglican priest, and sometimes Lutherans as well, can apply to their Catholic bishop once they come into full communion with the Catholic Church. The bishop then applies to Rome and gets a dispensation from the vow of celibacy, allowing these married men to be ordained as Catholic priests. By God's grace and by this generous provision from the church, I've been able to be ordained as a Catholic priest, even though I have a wife and family. I'm able to serve as a Catholic priest under this special provision, this special dispensation from the vow of celibacy. Now, in 2007, a group of Anglicans presented a document to the Vatican saying, we want to become in full communion with the Catholic Church. We believe everything the Catholic Church teaches, but we also want to retain our Anglican traditions, our Anglican customs, and our Anglican liturgy. Is there any way we can do this? Rome studied it. By this time, Pope Benedict XVI was uh, in charge. And in 2009, in October 2009, the Vatican issued a historic document called Anglicanorum Cetibus, Anglicanorum Cetibus is a document which actually establishes something called a personal ordinariate. The personal ordinariate is a special structure within the Catholic Church which grants a certain amount of autonomy to Anglicans, Episcopalians, who want to come into full communion with the Catholic Church. Some people say, well, how does this work? I mean, h- how can you have your own structures? And the best way I can explain it is to draw a parallel to the Eastern Rite churches, like the Melkites and the Maronites and the Coptics and so forth. They have their own hierarchy, their own ancient traditions, but they are in full communion with the Catholic Church. I was there for the erection of this personal ordinariate in Houston, Texas. The personal ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter, as it has been called, was set up in January 2012. In the second half of the program, we're going to talk to Jonathan Chalmers, one of the very first priests ordained into this new personal ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. You're listening to More Christianity, the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Before we continue with the program, I'd like to share with you one of the books I've written. Catholicism, Pure and Simple, is just that. It introduces people to the Catholic faith using simple language and goes step by step through the reason Jesus Christ came into the world, the Holy Spirit, the foundation of the church, the sacraments, the life of prayer, and the and the life of being a Catholic. I wrote Catholicism, Pure and Simple, in order to share the Catholic faith with people who need to be evangelized. I've also used it for 8th grade confirmation and RCIA. Connect with Catholicism pure and simple. You can find it on my website, DwightLongenecker.com. And now, back to more Christianity. Welcome back to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, and this week we have a very special convert with us. In the first section of the program, we were talking about the Anglican Ordinariate and the history of Anglican-Catholic relationships. The Ordinariate is a striking and pretty amazing Development in the whole world of ecumenism. And our guest today is Father John Chalmers. Father Chalmers is one of the first priests to be ordained for the ordinariate in the United States. Welcome, Father Chalmers. Thank you, Father Lineker. Now, you wear a couple of different hats, as I think most of us who are convert clergy from the Anglican tradition uh, have to do. You're a married man with children, and therefore you have to put uh, bread on the table. So you work as the Director of Ministry Relations at St. Francis Hospital. You're also Assistant Priest at St. Mary's Church here in Greenville. In addition to that, you're the Vice Chancellor of the American Ordinariate. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, you're uh, forming the St. Anselm Ordinariate Community here in Greenville. Can you tell us what other jobs you have?
1: I suspect that other than being a Supply Priest on the Diocese of Charleston, uh, that, that's a pretty categorical list. That
0: covers it. The St. Anselm Ordinariate Community. Who is St. Anselm?
1: St. Anselm was, a, was an archbishop of Canterbury in the medieval times. He is uh, understood as the uh, founder of the Scholastic Movement and particularly coined a phrase that we're particularly fond of, of faith-seeking understanding.
0: And so uh, St. Anselm is the patron of this new Ordinariate community here in Greenville. Now, the Ordinariate is of great interest to those of us who are converts from the Anglican tradition like myself, but also uh, a lot of Catholics are very interested in the Ordinariate community as well. Tell us here in the United States Who is the ordinary, and how is he different from a bishop?
1: Well, the ordinary is named Monsignor Jeffrey Steenson. He was appointed as the ordinary by the Holy Father um, on January 1 of this year when the ordinariate was erected. He differs from a typical bishop, although the apostolic constitution says that the ordinariate is juridically comparable to a diocese. Our ordinary is not a bishop, mainly because he's a married man. Right, so he, he functions in a way like
0: a bishop. He has pastoral oversight for this group, which is like a... A non-geographical diocese, or at least if it isn't non-geographical, it's it's hugely geographical. I've heard Monsignor Steenson himself say that his diocese, as it were, uh, stretches from the Arctic Circle to the Rio Grande. Yes, it does. Is that yes, it does.
1: It is certainly one of the larger geographic territories to be found in the Catholic Church. It is both simultaneously a small entity in terms of people and a vast entity in terms of square miles.
0: And Monsignor Steenson is a former... Episcopal bishop. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. He is a um, he is both a patristic scholar, as you did your work at Oxford, and also the former bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of the Rio Grande. And now he is
0: uh, working as the first ordinary of the ordinariate in the United States. What's the full name of the ordinariate? It is the personal ordinariate of the chair of St. Peter. Now, I heard in some sort of coffee table talk about all of this, That the ordinariate Catholics are not really supposed to refer to themselves as Anglicans. Is that correct?
1: We work very hard to remind everybody that members of the ordinariate are Catholics. And so they may refer to themselves as Anglican use Catholics, referring to our particular patrimony and our liturgy. But they are in every respect members of the, the Roman Catholic Church.
0: So they don't really go around calling themselves Anglican Catholics or Anglo-Catholics or
1: Catholics who are Anglicans. They, they drop the Anglican from their name pretty much. Pretty much. Pretty much. It's, it's, it's an elemental part of our identity and part of the patrimony that the Holy Father has entrusted to us. However, those, all of those titles, Anglo-Catholic, Anglicans, Anglicans who are of the Catholic tradition, Catholics who are of the Anglican tradition – all carry uh, more baggage mm-hmm. in, in in broader Christianity than perhaps we're interested in carrying. So it's called the Personal Ordinariate? Of the Chair of
0: St. Peter. Of the Chair of St. Peter. Now, yes. this is the American one, yes. and there's one in England which is
1: called the Personal Ordinariate of Our Lady of Walsingham. Of Walsingham,
0: yes. Is, is there one in Australia?
1: Yes, um, the Personal Ordinariate of the Southern Cross.
0: The Personal Ordinariate? Of Our Lady of the Southern Cross. Our Lady of the Southern Cross.
1: Yes. So there's three so far. There are three so far.
0: Are there plans for any others around the world?
1: I'm afraid you might have to ask the congregation for the doctrine of faith that question.
0: Could we get them on the phone, do you think? Do you have the number? (laughs) No, we don't. Good. But is there talk about having any others, perhaps a Canadian one or or, or not?
1: Our personal ordinariat, the chair of St. Peter that Monsignor Steenson heads, and I'm a member, includes Canada at the moment. The Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops has recently approved the creation of a Canadian deanery mm-hmm. um, for our for this ordinariate. I'm not sure moving forward when there will be, if you'll pardon, upon a critical mass in Canada that would well, allow or, or indicate the need for a for a separate ordinariate.
0: This is Father Dwight Longenecker, and you're listening to More Christianity. My guest today is Father John Chalmers, a priest for the Ordinariate of the Chair of Saint Peter. So we're coming up in January of the first anniversary of the of the erection of the Personal Ordinariate of the Chair of Saint Peter in the United States. There must have been a pretty many teething troubles so far. I, I think what listeners really want to know is what are the numbers like. I mean, are we seeing a a huge tsunami of Episcopalians and Anglicans coming into the Catholic Church? Is it more of a trickle? Is it somewhere in between?
1: Uh, that's an interesting question. I think we go with the notion that perhaps there's a um, steady small stream. Mm-hmm. There are 21 priests currently within the ordinariate. There's a second class forming and will be starting by the end of this year. There are a number of communities, established communities and new communities coming in. And we suspect that that's somewhere in the, in the thousands rather than the tens of thousands of people.
0: And these individual communities, presumably they have come into the ordinariate with nothing. Priests are leaving their Episcopal church and their jobs and their pensions, leaving their salaries, leaving their rectory houses. The people themselves are also coming, leaving their beautiful churches behind Mm -hmm. and finding the way forward. Is that correct?
1: It's correct, but not complete. There's a wide variety of models for ways individuals and communities and groups of Anglicans and former Anglicans are joining the ordinariate. So... Inasmuch as there are certainly those who are leaving all to come to the Catholic Church, there are also good examples. Recently, the Cathedral of the Incarnation in Orlando, that had been a continuing Anglican congregation, came bringing its building and its property and and really its structure into the ordinary.
0: Okay, we need to make a distinction here for our listeners who might not be aware of the complexities of the world of Anglicanism. First of all, the Anglican Communion, which exists of all the national churches in the world who are in communion with the Archbishop of Canterbury and with the Anglican Church in England. But there have over the years been a certain number of churches and, and breakaway groups. and we So these other little schismatic Anglican churches... And Anglican denominations will very often they, they do have their own property. They have their own church buildings and, and so forth and so mm-hmm. they can they can come in can you're come saying in. with their property with much w- more with much more ease than say an episcopal yes. congregation. Yes. So these little breakaway schismatic churches are able to come into the ordinary and bring their buildings, rectory houses and so forth with them. But surely that isn't happening in the Episcopal Church.
1: There's been a few examples of, of very gracious Episcopal bishops who have been supportive of their congreg- their parishes moves to the Ordinariate. One of them, most notably, is Mount Calvary in Baltimore.
0: Listeners will also want to know about the details of the or- life in the Ordinariate. Let's say a congregation of uh, people come together to form an Ordinariate community, like your one at St. Anselm's. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that your congregation consists of maybe some families from one Episcopal church
1: who break away and come and join you? Where do they come from? Well, particularly in Greenville, we have people joining us from a variety of Episcopal churches who are all convinced of the truth of Catholicism. We have a number of people who had previously converted to Catholicism from Anglicanism who are finding anew the beauties of the prayer book tradition and and the music expression. And we have those who are simply attracted to us um, sort of from whole cloth, if you will.
0: Okay, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here just to be the devil's advocate, Father Chalmers. We hear the ordinariate congregants and ordinariate priests talking about the patrimony of the Anglican Church and the riches of the Anglican Church. I know as a former Anglican that, in fact, it's not uniform. When I think of the glories of Anglicanism, I'm thinking of beautiful old Anglican cathedrals from Golden Stone with choir boys and starched ruffs singing in their beautiful angelic voices, the dulcet tones of King's College, Cambridge, and that's what I consider the patrimony of Anglicanism. But there might be an evangelical, almost fundamentalist Anglican as well, who doesn't care for all that stuff at all, but he considers the patrimony to be Good, solid theology with Bible teaching. And there might also be a kind of Anglican who doesn't care much for all the choir boys and cathedrals and says that the Anglican patrimony is to be working with the poor for peace and justice. And in other words, there's lots and lots of different Anglicans out there. How do you choose?
1: Well, fortunately for us, we are actually not choosing, they are choosing us. The standard of faith to become a member of the ordinariate, to convert to the ordinariate, is the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And I think that certainly we understand the patrimony primarily in terms of the people who were formed within that tradition, who feel moved by their conscience to come to the Catholic Church. If they're looking for, you know, not necessarily yards of lace, but billowing incense and barattas, then certainly there are options for them in Greenville within the Catholic expression. At St. Anselm's, we strike a little bit more of a a middle ground, if you will, Mm -hmm. but still nonetheless use the Book of Divine Worship liturgy.
0: So the Book of Divine Worship is the book of Anglican-style Catholic worship, which has been sanctioned by the Vatican for the ordinariate to use.
1: Yes, in the intervening time, it was actually created for um, Our Lady of the Atonement right in um, San Antonio mm-hmm. about 20 or 30, 25 years ago, um, and so has been used in the pastoral provision parishes of the U.S. Church during the last several decades. The ordinariates themselves are in the process of creating a new expression of Anglican liturgy done under the auspices of the Congregation for Divine Worship in Rome.
0: So and if I go to mass at a at an ordinary parish and I'm an a non ordinary a non Anglican Catholic, That fulfills my obligation, correct? It fulfills your obligation. You may be very
1: puzzled, but it fulfills your obligation.
0: And if I go, how much more different from the Novus Ordo, the ordinary Catholic Mass, is it going to be? Is it all Elizabethan language with words like, We do most heartily vouchsafe, O Lord, thy great mercies unto thee, and say things like that? Well, you
1: could certainly find that in in the course of the liturgy. You may not find that at St. Anselm's, per se. So... How different it is! Well, we tend to confuse people by putting the confession in the middle. We put the peace earlier, before the Eucharistic prayer, and there's a, there's a different set of introductory rites that are more in common with people formed within the Book of Common Prayer tradition than necessarily in the Roman Missal.
0: This is Father Dwight Longenecker, and you're listening to More Christianity. My guest today is Father John Chalmers, a priest for the Ordinariate of the Chair of Saint Peter. If we have an Anglican Ordinariate, some critics will come back and say why don't we have a Lutheran ordinariat or a Methodist ordinariat or a Presbyterian ordinariat? What's to stop all of these Protestants coming into our church and having their cake and eating it too? Now,
1: what would you say to critics like that? Well, I would say that the Holy Father didn't create a Lutheran ordinariate or a Methodist ordinariat or, or any number of other Protestant flavor of ordinariate. I think that the Holy Father has over the course of his academic career and it's certainly his time as a bishop, cardinal, and, and now pope, had a understanding of ecumenism that valued the potential contributions of the Anglican tradition in a very special way. And I'd say also, of course, that it's important, particularly now that we're in the 50th anniversary bracket of Vatican II, to recall that throughout the Second Vatican Council documents, there's a differentiation between Protestant and Anglican.
0: Right. And also, one of the things which excites me, which I really do think is exciting about the ordinariate, is the idea that the Anglican tradition, the Anglican patrimony, part of that patrimony is that it was a bridge church for many of us from Protestantism Hmm. into Catholicism, and that the Anglicans themselves have often seen themselves as being a bridge church and repudiating the term Protestant and saying, we're not Protestant, okay? And Therefore, this unique situation for the Anglicans of being a bridge church, it's my hope and prayer that the ordinariate can mm-hmm. continue to be that bridge. I know, for instance, there's already a Lutheran group who I think are petitioning for admission mm-hmm. to, to the ordinariate because they saw themselves as moving away from the Protestantism of their Lutheran tradition and moving towards Catholicism. They want getting the mm-hmm. toe in the door with the ordinariate. Precisely. Now, Now, there may also be individuals and even congregations and families and groups of people from Presbyterianism and Methodism and so forth. Do you think some of them might also find this this bridge across the Tiber?
1: Oh, I certainly think so. I know that any number of, of people from a variety of Protestant traditions have found St. Anselm's in Greenville, other ordinary communities around the country to be appealing and engaging in a way for them to engage with the riches of Catholicism when in a way that allows them some interpretive flexibility in terms of how do you move into and and begin to understand the catechism. I think that in terms of how do groups of them as an entity move in, that that's one of those ongoing questions where we know that we've been given this mandate by the Holy Father to steward the Anglican patrimony and to maintain a welcome harbor for people of the Anglican tradition. We will continue to talk with Rome to see how they'd like for us to express that in terms of a broader catch.
0: Good. So at the moment, those who can join an ordinariate community are those individuals who were Anglicans or had some family connection with the Anglican Church. Uh, So, for instance, I was a former Anglican priest, so therefore I could join the ordinariate. Absolutely. Um, We look forward
1: to receiving your application.
0: (laughs) My wife and children could join the ordinariate. Absolutely, yes. Now, what about my neighbor who was brought up in the Baptist church but he's been reading the prayer book he's been he loves Anglican hymns and he lo- he's been going to the Episcopal church we never quite joined it can he come to the ordinariate and become a catholic through the ordinariate
1: I think he can I think he can. And I think we're, but this is one of those ongoing questions and conversations that we've been having over the course of the, what has it been, 10 months that the Ordinariate's been created. I'm going to
0: push this a little bit and ask you another one. What about my neighbor's neighbor, who's a Baptist, who has never been to an Episcopal church and has never been an Anglican, but he comes to St. Anselm's and says, gee, this is great. Are you able to evangelize him or do you have to say, sorry, you've got to go around the corner to the Catholic RCIA and come in through that door?
1: Well, I think that that's one of those questions in terms of the new evangelization that requires a broad understanding of what we're doing, Mm -hmm. that the apostolic constitutions that have been given to us, that that which we understand is the founding legal code of it provides a number of juridic slots by which we understand who we are and who we're called to be. It doesn't, though, mean that it limits who we can evangelize to and with, who we can talk to, who we can pray with, who can come and experience our community and our liturgy as well. So, Well,
0: I think the answer to that, isn't it? That little phrase that's in Catholic canon law, that the whole thing is there for the, for the good of the faithful and salvation of souls. For the salvation of souls, precisely. And, and that's going to prevail over right. the fine points of the law and be an open door. Now, here's another question which we hear from a lot of people. The Anglican ordinariate extend the uh, provision for there to be married priests. You're a married man and now I'm I am. a Catholic priest for the ordinariate. I'm a married man as a diocesan priest in the Diocese of Charleston. The next generation of priests in the ordinariate, are they going to be allowed to to be married? Here's the, for instance, a young man comes along. He's a member of your ordinariate congregation. He's married with two young children. Is he allowed to apply for
1: ordination? Well, he's certainly allowed to apply for ordination, but that's really not the question that we're asking. Mm -hmm. The question here before us is that there's no blanket exemption from the discipline of celibacy in the ordinariats. There is special provision that allows for individual applicants within the ordinariate, from the ordinariate communities, to request the dispensation from celibacy, which, as you well know, requires the particular and personal approval of the Holy Father. So moving forward, if this hypothetical married young man comes forward, that's going to be an ongoing question.
0: So the default setting in the ordinariate is celibacy for priests. But dispensations can be given for married men to be ordained.
1: I would say the default setting in the ordinary is really the default setting for the Catholic Church, which is the the discipline of celibacy celibacy in the Western Church. Right. So –
0: but dispensations will be made for married men on a case-by-case basis Precisely. within the ordinariate. Right.
1: We don't see a time limit in the in the Apostolic Constitution, though, but we, again, we don't get to make that call. That's made in Rome.
0: Right. And you know what is running through the minds of an awful lot of Catholic men out there. Hey, I'm a married man. I've always wanted to be a priest. Maybe I could jump in and join the ordinariate and come in that way
1: and be ordained. I think not. Part of the requirements in order to receive dispensation from celibacy is that you need never to have been Catholic.
0: Right. Well, my guest today is Father John Chalmers, one of the first priests to be ordained for the Ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter here in the United States of America. Father Chalmers, thank you for joining us today. It's been a wealth of information. We've learned an awful lot. And may God continue to bless the Ordinariate community here in Greenville and across the nation and across the world. And as we say goodbye, could I ask you please, Father Chalmers, give our listeners your blessing.
1: Well, certainly, perhaps we can use one from the Book of Divine Worship. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and the love of God, and of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, in the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be upon you and remain with you always. Amen.
0: More Christianity explores the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church and comes to you from the WCKI Studios in upstate South Carolina. Tune in every week for Father Dwight Longenecker's perspectives on Catholic culture, social issues, saints, converts, and the supernatural aspects of the Catholic faith. For more about Father Longenecker's work, his website is dwightlongenecker.com.